0: The Confluence Story Gathering podcast is a production of Confluence, a community-supported nonprofit that connects people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River system. Find us at confluenceproject.org. That attitude, that that assumption by Americans, that arrogance of taking all the land, for me. It's still a big problem. We're still
1: living with that. That colonization is still with us. Welcome to the Confluence Story Gathering podcast, indigenous voices of the Columbia River. I'm Colin Fogarty, executive director of Confluence. Story gathering has two meanings. We gather together and we gather stories. In this case, stories from a Native perspective. In this episode, we're going to hear from anthropologist and historian David Lewis, who is an enrolled member of the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde. He was one of several native thinkers and leaders who spoke at a Confluence story gathering at Washington State University in Vancouver, Washington. David is going to introduce himself and provide some historical context for Northwest tribes negotiating treaties with the U.S. government. He also shares how tribes like the Grand Ronde are still trying to protect rights that weren't guaranteed in those treaties. Here's David.
0: Hi, I'm David Lewis, and I'm um, a member of the Grand Ronde tribe. So I have um, ancestry with the Saniam Calapuyans, the Chinookans from this area, and Takelma people from Southern Oregon. So what I do is I, I pretty much research and write histories of our tribes. I do say tribes in a plural because something like 27 to 35 tribes came to Grand Ronde in 1856. And so it is a pretty complex history that we're looking at uh, that involves many, many different peoples and at least seven treaties i guess um, what really is interesting to me is is the sort of attitude of the settlers resettlers in to, in simply taking all the land without regard to the previous ownership of the of native peoples taking all the fishing sites taking everything and leaving nothing for Native peoples. And it wasn't like Native peoples didn't want them there. When Americans first started coming into the Columbia, into the Lant Valley, into this area and settling, the Native people saw that there was a lot, they had lots of cool stuff. I mean, they had like metal and guns and they had big ships and they had nice blankets and clothing and shoes and, you know, glass beads. All this stuff that was kind of a wealth items at first then later on it became common and native people realized that they could you know they could get furs and then they could buy all this stuff at fort vancouver or astoria or someplace and this was something that at first Native people wanted and then when there was like a flood of people after the 1840s and all the land became claimed and there was no more room for native people i mean chiefs villages were claimed by the white people. And even though there were a few people, settlers, who knew the problem, who said, this is a big problem, we need to um, do something for the tribes because they, you know, they're, they're basically getting claimed out for their, their own homes, uh, Indian agents and federal agents refused to do anything about that. In fact, they fired the people that raised that that, that as a problem. and. And so that attitude, that, that assumption by Americans, that arrogance of taking all the land is really a big, for me, it's still a big problem. We're still living with that. We're still, that colonization is still with us. We're still dealing with all that stuff because we lost so much resources, so much land, so many rights, and there was no avenue for getting anything back. Native people were not allowed to go in court. Not allowed to testify in court. So you couldn't go to the local district court for the United States and and ask for that stuff back or sue somebody to get your land back. It, It rarely ever happened. There was one case where it did happen in Oregon, but in places like Southern Oregon, it didn't happen. There was no avenue for any kind of legal redress. It was just that the Native people just lost everything, and they were forced to really sign treaties or they would have no value for what their ownership of the land was before. And that's that's really the sort of context of everything happening. I think if tribes had been exposed in sort of a more gradual way to, to Americans and been respected somewhat in terms of their rights, we would see a totally different area today than we see today where tribes are still tr- struggling for restoration, for getting their land rights back, places where they've they see them as spiritual places. I mean, Salila Falls is a spiritual place. Willamette Falls is a spiritual place. These are places where people have been using the resources for 10,000 years or more. And I think it's important to think about these things, that that attitude. For Grand Ron, I mean, there's this misconception that we don't have treaty rights in the Columbia. I know a lot. there's been a lot of that in the news about this notion of treaty tribes as opposed to non-treaty tribes. but we do have a treaty on the Columbia, the Willow Valley Treaty, and it involved uh, peoples from uh, the Cascades all the way up to the Skilute area and everybody in between, and that included all the Kalapuyans and Malala people from the Willow Valley, which is all part of the sort of larger Columbia River trade network that was working at the time, and and it's really important to understand that, we, that even though treaties tended to try to give Indians things that they already had essentially, that we already had land, we already had homelands, we already had rights to fishing and hunting and everything else and it was assumed by settlers and resettlers that we had, didn't really have those things because the U.S. government claimed all our land so they're giving it to us in a sense. Even our treaty, like the Walnut Valley Treaty, didn't mention those rights in there does not mention uh, things like we have fishing rights and we have hunting rights. It also doesn't say that we take that away from you too. So there, are, there is this question in, in Indian law about whether Indian rights are fishing and hunting and gathering are given through treaties or perhaps they're taken away by treaties and then given back by treaties or do treaties that don't mention those rights take that, that away at all. And I, and I believe most tribes that, ha, that don't have those rights written to their treaties would rather think that they didn't lose them either because it doesn't mention anything about our hunting and fishing rights in our treaties, all seven of our treaties. And so that's a kind of a, a misconception I want to clear up, uh, that as far as, and I can't speak for the government right now, but I did, I did work for the government of Grand Ronde, and I know that Grand Ronde people know that we didn't lose our rights. The only reason we lost our rights was because when we were being restored from termination, the state of Oregon and the the congressmen and uh, politicians held that over our head. They said, well, in order for us to bring up your bill for restoration of your tribe after this horrible period of termination, you have to give up your hunting and fishing rights. And so that was, to my mind, wrongly played I mean that should never have happened and I think that today if tribes were to be restored that would not happen but we have to we have to live with that right now and so I know tribes like Siletz and Grand Ronde that have that as part of their restoration they had to give up these rights as part of the restoration are working towards re- restoring rights for hunting and fishing because it's actually part of our identity.
1: That was anthropologist and Grand Ronde historian David Lewis speaking at a Confluence Story Gathering in Vancouver, Washington. You can find a collection of his essays on tribal history at NDN, that's the letters, NDN, historyresearch.com. A special thanks to our host for the Confluence Story Gathering, Washington State University in Vancouver, and to the presenting sponsor for the event, Humanities Washington. To find out more about Confluence and our five completed sites along the Columbia River system, be sure to check out our website, confluenceproject.org. Remember, Confluence is a community-supported nonprofit. We can only do this work because of the generous support from the friends of Confluence. That's you. Join us today. Thanks for listening to the Confluence Story Gathering podcast. For more episodes, visit confluenceproject.org or wherever you get your podcasts.